accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called The Muse. It is the 21st episode of the fourth season. Aired on April 29th, 1996. Teleplay goes to Renee Echevarria. Story credit goes to Renee Echevarria and Majel Barrett Roddenberry. Directed by David Livingston. In this episode, a mysterious woman helps Jake write a novel. Loxana Troy, pregnant with a son, asks Odo to help her escape her husband. We're joined by Clay who has missed all of the previous Locks on a Troy episodes on DS9. So this must have been somewhat confusing towards the end of it. But uh, I want, uh, how, do, how are you doing otherwise? I'm good. You know, on this show, we have fun. We joke around. We uh, laugh. We like we, to laugh. We, we laugh. We, we take things not so seriously. But I want to be serious for one second. This episode is the closest I think we've ever gotten to Jake Sisko fuck machine. <laughs> <laughs> like there's what is going on with him he's <laughs> <laughs> was it the line where she's like have you ever been in a woman's quarters unaccompanied by an adult and he's like no and she's like well let's get to writing then um yeah it was like it was like you could extrapolate this as a meta episode where like all of the jake cisco stuff was written by jake cisco yeah, and then like yeah. he 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 realized, oh, I have to show this to people, so I can't put in the part where we just we just bone down for three days. Let's take a break. We're gonna play an audio clip. We're gonna come back and we're gonna break down the muse. Before I met her, my world was a much smaller place. I kept to myself. I didn't need anyone else, and I took pride in that. The truth is. I was ashamed of what I was. Afraid that if people saw how truly different I was, they would recoil from me. Loxana saw how different I was. And she didn't recoil. She wanted to see more. For the first time in my life, Someone wanted me as I was. And that changed me forever. The day I met her is the day I stopped being alone. You know, it got me wondering, Clay. I I thought the, and I don't know, I'm not looking this up. I thought that the definition of a muse was just someone who inspired you. Is the definition of a muse supposed to be loaded with sexuality is that part of being amused is that you like are inspiring someone by being uh sexually desirable to them like their their pursuit of you or their love for you is what is what is inspiring your greatness is that what amuses or is it just amuses um, just someone who inspires somebody i always thought it was the latter but usually uh, I have only seen it used in reference to a male creative person who is has some sort of uh, female that he is usually involved with in some 
you know, sexual or relationship capacity, hmm. who is in, um, <clears throat> who is in uh, inspiring whatever the creativity. That's the that's the most common way I see it, see it used. Uh, isn't it? Um, isn't it a Greek mythology thing? It is. I'm looking at the definition now. So in Greek, Greek and Roman, each of the nine goddesses, the daughters of Zeus and Minosine, who preside over the arts and sciences. So daughters of Zeus who are sort of into cultural stuff or they're the gods of culture, basically. The second definition is a person or a personified force who is the source of inspiration for a creative artist. So I guess there's no sexual bent to it, although I always feel that it's a sexualized relationship. Yeah, it, it seems to be usually portrayed in that manner. I don't know if that's um, – or at least when it's when it's uh, personified anyway. I mean, I, I, there's plenty of times I've heard it used in, in reference in, not that way. But anytime it's depicted like in a, in a dramatic fashion, there's always that element to it. Mm-hmm. So what do you think of The Muse? Uh, I feel like this is the worst episode I've seen all season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's generally the feedback. Um, even a couple patrons say that uh, this is the worst episode. And they like everything. This is the wor- this is the worst episode in a long time. Although I yeah. don't think it's a disaster. Um, no. So yeah, what do you think? Well, I mean, besides the fact that you thought it was the worst episode in a while, which I think speaks to the quality of the season at this point. Uh, what 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 led you down that path? Um, I don't, I mean, maybe part of it was because I don't have any of the history of the, of the Odo and Luxana stuff. Uh, but it just, it just felt like it felt very much like a season one type episode, even down to the, the creature at the end turning into, into golden fog and then floating off into space outside of the space station, Yep, which is probably a reused animation from when they set free that like giant jellyfish thing in the first season. Yeah, same camera pan and everything, right? Yeah. It's a um, it's a bad Yeah, I don't know. It's I, a ba- just, bad a bi- bad sci-fi B plot makes rears its ugly head in a while. We haven't seen that in a while and here here it kind of is. Um Yeah, I like I didn't inherently hate the stuff with Jake, but there didn't seem to be a point to it. Um, also bullshit that his penmanship is that nice because if we've learned anything from the advent of computers is people can't write to, for shit anymore. I know. Get, so that, I call get that kid bullshit. a word processor or something. I, I'm, I'm amazed that he was writing this all by hand. Maybe the scanning technology has improved in the future, but the, you got to get that down on hard disk, Jake. I think, uh, that's yeah. not the only hard disk in this room, but we have to, we have Hey-o. to get that thing down. Hey, yo, we have fun here. Um, so I thought that the... <laughs> I think that the Jake stuff, the Jake stuff feels really rudderless to me. It's like it, it, mm-hmm. it feels like it's the worst kind of Star Trek story, which is just like, all right, let's do something for Jake. Uh, let's bring in a magical alien. Uh, so what's Jake's thing? Oh, he likes he wants to be a writer. How about this thing uh, makes him a writer, but it tries to kill him? Uh, there, that's good enough. Like that, that, that feels like the extent of what they were, what they wanted to do with that storyline. Yeah, the um and it's not even like set up particularly well. It's not like Jake is has writer's block or is is really struggling with an idea or is trying to uh got rejected know, from with, Pennington or whatever that institute is that he keeps yeah, talking about. Yeah. Yeah, he's like he's doing totally fine and then this chick is just like, uh, hey, would you like to come to my quarters and I can quote unquote inspire you? And he's like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I, yes, ma'am. 
Um, and it, yeah, and it's and like at the end after uh, also, uh, Ben was a little bit was a little too uh, uh, n- you know nice about the fact that Jake insisted on this trip to Beta Z or wherever they were going, which sounds like it was probably a lot of work to set up. Yes, and uh, and it's his only shore leave and stuff. And all of a sudden he's like, "No, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay here and, and uh, really work out this story." I I would have been. I mean, I guess I guess there's only so mad you can get at somebody, but as a, as a dad, but no, I, that's the situation where you're like, get on the fucking ship, right, Jake. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, you're not staying here by yourself. You're never right. You're never gonna make it. Get a real job. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's like she's not. And at the end, when 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 everything kind of comes out and whatnot, it's not like the talk that they have at the end. I actually I went back and I I watched it twice because I had kind of zoned out the first time and I was like oh well this is probably where they're going to get out all of the thematic stuff that they didn't seem to address at all in the actual episode and it wasn't it was like they had it was just Ben and Jake and Ben's kind of like you know this this is pretty good your spelling's bad but it's uh, it's a good start and yep. you know take a couple break take a couple days off and maybe come back to it you got a pretty good book here and he's like thanks dad and that's the end of the episode like I- there was no. I mean, there was no uh, wrestling with the fact that it was a book about his dead mom. Yeah. Um, and also, that <laughs> I really like that. Was like, well, it's kind of autobiographical. It's about a guy whose mom dies. It's not about that. <laughs> it's about that. <laughs> and you know, like that, none of that stuff is really talked about at all. Um, no, usually, no. they can save a lot of these plot lines by having that scene at the end where they kind of voice the uh, internal. Um, machinations when the internal machinations don't really come through. Yeah, uh, but this one there was nothing. Well, even the um, yeah, I didn't really understand the. So this alien does this to all these great creatives. Uh, Keats is the person that they mentioned that we would know. Other, other, mm-hmm. the other names are alien names. But so she's been inspiring these people to sort of draw out their greatness, and that kills them. Why? Are we supposed to believe, and I think she implies this, that Jake was willing to give up so much that he would die before his work was even published? You know what I mean? Like she, what was the relationship here where the other characters apparently lived long enough through this process to publish and do all their stuff, but Jake was willing to die. And I thought that they could have tied that into his mother's death. Like is the urgency to write this book is what's fueling him to sort of kill himself in the process, but they don't really do anything with that. It, it felt a little bit flimsy. I thought that, I thought that both plot lines I would describe as um, flimsy. If you sort of look at what is supposed to be holding them up right there, it's the fact that the timeline of how this thing kills you and what it gets out of it and what's the pros and cons of doing this seemed a little bit weak for me. And we'll get to the Odo stuff when we get to it. But the, um, the Jake storyline just, it was a lot of like ASMR talking and her rubbing his head <laughs> and just, it uh, it didn't really, didn't do anything for me. It didn't highlight or exemplify the uh, Ciroc Lofton's strengths as an actor. It wasn't really about anything. I just, I thought it was kind of silly. It felt to me, as you were saying, very season one. Like it's it's a concept alien that comes in that isn't really a great idea and they just went with it. Yeah, and there, there wasn't even like, much tongue in cheek as to what it represents. Like I, 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 I was, as I was watching it, I was thinking jokingly like, Oh, this is, is she just trying to steal the copyright for his book? This is kind of like a, a, a metaphor for like the early days of uh, publishing yep. where it's like, yeah, come on kid. We'll publish anything you want, but we get to keep all of it. Um, Sign this contract. And they, they didn't even, 
What's that? Sign this contract before we go any yeah, further. Yeah, exactly. You're going to give me $100 for all my songs, Mr. Barry Gordy? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, they, they the writers, usually when they do that kind of stuff, there's some a little bit of tongue-in-cheek from the writers about what it means to be a writer working in a system or something like that. And I feel like the opportunity could have been there, uh, but they didn't take that, and it was just, you know, Jake getting a mind boner. You know, I, do, I, I was curious, though. At what age does um, random nosebleeds become worrisome? <laughs> because I remember as a kid that I used to get just random nosebleeds all the time, and I did not, you know, I there was one time that I fell asleep on the couch and I woke up in a puddle of blood. And uh, <laughs> there was a dead, yeah, dead body next to me, but it was all well. It was, it was, kind of, it was one of those things where, like, I was getting nosebleeds, and my mom just, we, my mom had just bought a new couch, and uh, it was the summer, and we only had air conditioning downstairs, so I wanted to sleep downstairs, and she's like, "Do not sleep downstairs on the new couch. You're gonna bleed all over it because you've been having nosebleeds every night." And I said, "Mom, do not worry about it. I've got it under control." And the next day, I woke up. And there was just blood everywhere. <laughs> Luckily, I was on a pillow, and none of it got on the couch. Otherwise, there would have been even more blood any, everywhere, and I would not be here today to t- tell you this amazing story. Amy, uh, but Amy like, still I gets nosebleeds all the time. A- Amy gets them as an adult. Okay, Our right. two-year-old just started getting them. I think it's the heat. Like, the, the heating dries out the air when we turn it on, so his nose bleeds oh, occasionally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, like, right now, I don't know if it's just that, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm becoming more paranoid about my health, which I 100% am. But uh, if I were to just get a random nosebleed right now, I would lose my mind. Mm. Like, I, I, that's not something that happens anymore. Um, and it's also shorthand for, like, horrible, horrible sickness in most things that you watch. <laughs> it's like, like remember in the X-Files where every now and then Scully would just have random nosebleeds? And I yep. was like, oh, yeah, she's got alien cancer. Yeah. <laughs> It's the, I mean, the only more worrisome one is more difficult to show on TV. Like if you're bleeding out of your ass, you're basically, you're basically halfway into the grave, I think at that point, yes. but uh, they can't show it's, that. It's, it's a shorthand. It's, yeah, it's the more, uh, it's the less uh, aggressive shorthand than the, <laughs> the uh, one where it's just, they cough into a napkin and they pull it back and there's blood on the napkin, which is also a good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I don't have, I, Nosebleeds are kind of like vomiting to me. I don't, I don't remember the last time it actually happened to me, and yeah. I'm sure it could happen, but it, it seems like it's something that happened when I was younger, and I don't really get it anymore. Um, but yeah, no, Amy still gets some occasion. It's the heat for us. It's when the the cool weather yeah. comes in, the heat comes on, it dries out the air, your nose cracks, and then you just start gushing blood. Yeah, that happened to me all the time. Like I used to go skiing. And I would be fine outside skiing, but the minute I stepped inside of like you know what you know the concession area, it was just like blood all down the front of my thing. And I was like, "Oh, this is this is excellent." <laughs> that guy's a fucking skier right there. Um, <laughs> let's see here. So I don't. There's not much else really to talk about that Musy character or the Musy storyline. Um, the actress is uh, Meg Foster, mm-hmm. who uh, you know her. Yeah, she's. Uh, <laughs> I know her from two very specific things. She played Evil Lynn in the live-action uh, Masters of the Universe movie with Dolph Lundgren. Okay. And she also was uh, the female lead in They Live, the John Carpenter movie. Oh, nice. Interesting. She has very – She she's one of those actresses who has very uh, – I, I remember her because she has very striking blue eyes. Mm-hmm. She has like one, one of those like, you know, you see her and you're you just kind of like, oh my, oh, my God, those eyes are – they're weird. Um, 
And I think, no, I'm thinking of somebody else. I thought she was also in Farscape, but I think that's a different woman. Well, she's, um, she's all voice in this. That's the only thing that I take away from yeah, it is yeah. her sort of asmr goofy voice that she's talking. It, it, this was, she, a- she, she very much has that, like, she's that has that late eighties, early nineties, uh, uh, late night cable sultriness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure she was in all of those shows. I'm sure she had a recurring guest spot on silk stockings. Yes. That- <laughs> Can we do a silk stockings podcast? I know the, the, the coverage is demanded to, uh, to, uh, to make some silk stockings references, I think just because I remember the ads more than anything. <laughs> yeah, me too. I don't think I've ever watched that show. <laughs> um, so the Odo, and Loxana stuff. Uh, you hadn't seen Loxana. The only thing you really need to know is that uh, Odo and her started off combative, combatively. Uh, they've kind of mellowed over time, and Odo has kind of turned to her, as they show in this episode, as she is someone very close to his heart. Uh, so it's been a nice little arc. Uh, Loxana is not one of my favorite characters, but she's been okay here. And the thing that she's referencing at the wedding where Odo's like, she saw me in my real form was... There was an episode early in the first season where they get stuck in an elevator and Odo has to revert to his uh, goo form every 16 hours and he has to do it in the elevator. He's embarrassed to do it. And mm-hmm. she is very understanding and she holds him in her dress. She like makes her dress into a bowl and he melts oh. into it. Um, kinky. Yeah, kinky, kinky stuff. So that's what he's talking about here. I thought the, I thought this was fine if it felt it felt slightly goofy for some reason like it felt a little bit farcical or not the tone that the series usually does now but uh there's the the shot at the beginning when the cold open closes of Loxon is like i'm pregnant and they do a close-up of odo and he looks up and down with this like goofy over exaggerated motion uh it felt very much like that and i thought it was good it's a little it's a heartwarming i suppose i don't mind it it's just um i sort of get hung up on the logic of this how this uh species functions yeah with their child yeah. care it, it was distracting to a point where i i can't really connect with what's going on screen which is fine because i'm thinking of the problems of how this actually society functions yeah and it it was it's a society in which marriage is very much a uh male possesses the female kind mm-hmm. of transaction yeah <clears throat> and you become you know you become the possession of your husband and your husband's property basically but you can annul it if you just get married to another guy who seems to be convincing that he loves you a yes, lot. Yeah, I, they're, they're very honest. Sure, critics. that's not how that works. Very honest critics. If you could, if your wife goes off and marries some other guy, and you're just like, you know what? He gave a pretty good speech. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let him have yeah. her. Yeah, and the th- the thing with the the kid was very strange. Where it's like, no, it, it, it's it goes. It's the husband's kid. It's not your kid. And he was very cool about that too. Where he's like, you know, have have a good life. And that was when you, when our son asked about me, tell him I was uh, a fighter pilot or something. I found the disregard they had there for his feelings to be almost amazing. Sort of like <laughs> I I actually have a big problem ethically with what has happened here. So Loxana Troy marries into a species where she knows this is happening. She, I, I guess she takes him at his word that it's not going to be the case if they have a kid. But then when it's a boy, he's like, oh, never mind. I want to go through my society stuff. And mm-hmm. then she takes the kid away forever from him. It, it just, it feels, his ending feels really tragic to me. It's like your your kid is gone. They seem to have a society where they don't really care about the, relationship as opposed to like the 
the law of it, kind of, which mm-hmm. maybe I'm not supposed to feel so bad, but I, I was sort of heartbroken for that guy at the end too, where it's like, Jesus, she took it, she took his kid away from him, um, and he's never, he's never going to see him, and it's a happy ending. We're told that it's a happy ending. Yeah, uh, all around, I think uh, the emotional state of all the characters involved it couldn't be brought into question at the end. Yeah. Also, that guy <laughs> is um, Michael Ansara, who is the voice of Mister Freeze, who we've seen previously as one of the three Klingon warriors. Oh, Mike. Oh, is he? Oh, okay. Yeah, that that um that makes sense. I was thinking of someone else, but you you obviously looked at the uh, the wiki for this one. You were very invested in who was going on. Did I you actually didn't. Him? I just I just knew both of those actors. Yeah, it's um, I don't know. It's 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 fine. I guess I don't really have a a problem. What what did you think? Like, do you did you did you like the Odo and Loxana resolution? Did you think it's appropriate for those two? You haven't seen Loxana in a while, so is what's it like seeing her on a DS Nine station? She was fine. I I didn't actually, you know, I actually didn't like her as much because she wasn't as uh, vibrant as she usually is, to put it that way. Uh, She's usually a little bit louder and a little bit more out there, but she seemed pretty subdued here. They had that great scene um, where her Beta Z sadness is overtaking the rest and everyone's depressed in the bar and Worf is oh just my staring God. at his face. That was amazing. <laughs> Worf... Worf's face in that scene was unbelievable, and it it's like it's like you could see inside his mind, and he's just going. Brendan Lee was so young when he died. <laughs> would um, you like to go for a walk? I would. Yeah, he's, yeah. I, they're getting really good at doing that kind of stuff. I like that little. There was a lot of little Betazoid touches I like there, where overwhelming Betazoid sadness can infect everyone else. And I really found it touching that she has a line where. Uh, Betazoid mothers can sense the feelings of their babies, which I thought was like mm. kind of kind of a amazing, profound little line uh, because she says that the babies are very content. Um, I, I just thought that was a really interesting insight into them as a species. I thought it was good writing. Yeah, um, but yeah, the I, not having seen the relationship previously, and the fact that Loxana knew about Odo's feelings toward Kira. I actually, at the end of the episode, <clears throat> when he was uh, giving his speech about at the wedding, I thought that they were doing a thing where it was like he was actually talking about Kira. Oh, so I, I, yeah, I didn't realize that they had this, you know, really close relationship previously. Um, so I, it didn't confuse me, but it did. I, I didn't exactly see. I didn't. I didn't appreciate what they were doing there. However. I will say, man, Odo is like the most mercilessly friend-zoned character I've ever seen in anything in my entire <laughs> life. Where in this one, he's <laughs> he's he he pours out his heart, and they literally get married. And then she's like, "Well, thanks for doing that. I mean, obviously you were joking, so I'll just uh, I'm just I'm just gonna go." And he's like, "Uh, okay, yeah, yep." Yep, can't can't ever can't ever be finding uh, any sort of stable happiness for Odo. I think yeah, it is a. Um, I mean, do do you think that that works for that character? Like, I I feel when you watch a series like this, and there's so many episodes, and then you realize that they hit the same beat a lot of the same time. Like the mm-hmm. the characterization only goes so deep, so they sort of hit the same uh, point over and over again. I feel like you, I felt that a lot with Data in the later seasons of TNG. It's like, how many times are we going to have an episode where Data doesn't know what it means to be human or something like that? Right, like, right. Um, and it's funny because that's the whole point of the character. But Odo, 
I wouldn't have thought that Odo being in a relationship would have been a defining characteristic of that character, but it's turning into that kind of a thing. And do you find it, I feel like there's a lot of ways you can go with Odo and a relationship wouldn't be one of them. They sort of started it on that path and they have to continue it, but I don't know. Um, what, what, what do you think? Does it, does it suit those two characters or do you find that Odo is mischaracterized in this episode? No, I, I think it suits Odo actually, because he is, his people are literally a, uh, um, are, are beings who are defined by the way that they interact with each other. And they're all part of this, like one big goop pile, basically. The great link. Yeah. The great link. Yeah. And he is more or less permanently removed from that. So he is, he is, he's operating on a level of loneliness that I don't think anybody can really uh, un- comprehend. Right. So it makes sense to me that they would lean into him being sort of desperate on some level for a relationship. I don't, you know, I, I don't know if it needs to be romantic every time. I think you can go lots of different ways with that. Um but I, I think maybe a romantic relationship is probably the easiest fallback to do. Yeah. But uh, I, I do think it makes sense that he he would be so desperate for that sort of uh, uh, companionship. Yeah, it's interesting because he his characterization is kind of the opposite. Like he's kind of an angry loner character. But as you're saying, that their species is built on being this like interconnected closeness to it. So it's kind of, I, I wonder like you, if, I don't know if they've, they haven't touched on this yet, but like why Odo is the way that he is. Is it a product of the way that he was like raised in that Bajoran lab and sort of tortured as a specimen while they were trying to figure out what it is? Or is it a, are all the changes like this? If you separate them, do they become this kind of like grumpy nature? Uh, It's something worth thinking about, but I agree with you that Odo um, being in a relationship and to tie into the changeling thing, the changelings are also defined by who they're talking to because they take that form usually. So they are, they're sort of like, if they're talking to someone else or they, they, they're more full, they're sort of fulfilled in a way by their interactions with others because they are formless in and of themselves. So Mm -hmm. when you pair them up with another character and you put them into a relationship is really when you sort of, get the relevance the thematic relevance of what those characters are and they you know they do it in stuff like paradise lost where they are a threat in that situation but here it's more about um you needing something else to complete you to take like your full shape of whatever you want to be and for odo it's the the hole in his heart basically that he's desperately trying to fill yeah uh do do let me see here do do i think that's i mean i find I find Odo slightly miswritten here, if only because I don't know if it's the tone of the episode. Like, is this supposed to be a, a comedy? At least their story. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's the one of the tough things. Because um, I think Loxana generally lends herself to comedy. And uh, <laughs> on the page, I, I feel like it depends. I feel like it could. I feel like it could have been written as a comedy, but in, misinterpreted as not a comedy. Right. The wedding scene that, in particular, I feel, could have gone that way. 
Yeah, um, well, I was thinking about the cold open because the cold open having Loxana show up and be pregnant is like you can go the way that they did, which is kind of like, bum, bum, or you can go the way where it's like, oh, Loxana, what have you gotten yourself into this time? You know? Yeah, what have you gotten into um, yourself this time? Oh, yeah, we're, we're, just, we're just on a roll, just on a well roll up here. <laughs> we have fun. <laughs> we do, we do. No, I, I see, I... I kind of agree. Like it's, it almost feels weird to the Loxana character. If you're not having a very funny moment, like it it feels like the script is borderline comedy, but they are really reining it in to have this sort of heartfelt thing that usually in a Loxana episodes, the heartfelt moment is just the last scene with her. Like it's kind of a farce Mm -hmm. until you get to the last scene. And then she says something profound and we all move on. Uh, But here, I guess it's just her overwhelming sadness and add Loxana to the tragic list of star trek characters who everyone is dying around her uh basically yeah. like her husband her firstborn child this this kid is going to be taken away from her um but yeah she is she's probably viewed as less she's got, because of how obnoxious she can be in early tng anyway and she's got no kids left after this baby yeah does deanna disown no her no kids no <laughs> none showing up uh until the ending of enterprise i don't think yeah it's um I don't know. I like. How would you fix this episode? Do you, um, is it fixable? Do you care enough, or is it just? Is this a? You know, as, as we're doing these twenty six episodes in a season, you certainly see when these uh, the room starts to run into trouble about what they want to do. They tend to hit a. <coughs> they tend to hit a breaking point around like the sixteenth or eighteenth episode around that point. Um, yeah, it's almost like twenty six episodes is is too much impossible to pull off (laughs) because i imagine what happens here is you have enough ideas to open a season you can probably come up with a couple to sort of fill in the spaces as you're going and then you know how you kind of want to wrap up the season so you have ideas for the last handful uh so it's the later the later teens into the early 20s are the problem area and we've kind of hit a little bit of a problem area um i i would like I would like a writer from this era of TV, excuse me, to just like kick down the door at any Netflix writer's room and be like, you have to do 13 episodes. That's literally half of what we had to do every single year. And you get to do like 13 episodes once every couple years, maybe. Yep. It's what, how come you can't pull 13 episodes of fucking Daredevil together that are all good? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like if you took, you could pick thirteen episodes out of out of any series from the, the mid '90s that was like decent, and have like a really fucking good season out of that. Yeah. If you pick thirteen episodes of the X Files, it would be the best show on television, even more than it already was. Yeah. So like to to have all of these writers' rooms going that are like struggling to get between ten and thirteen episodes, and they're like, well, if we had six episodes, we'd be able to really, you know, really do something special. Like fuck you, <laughs> these guys are working their asses off, and they. We're still pulling out stuff that was better than, you know, well, I mean, TV is generally better now than it was before. But um, but you know what I mean? It's like that's why the the fact that these these seasons were 26, 25, 26 episodes long is insane. Yeah. And the fact that they were decently good is even more insane. Well, the. What's funny to me is the break. There's there's only really a two month break between the seasons because of how many episodes they have, yeah. and that feels that feels crazy compared to today, where you wait you know over a year sometimes for the next series of Game of Thrones to come out or something. Like they just they kept churning them out. There was really no break. It, it it's almost the fact it's not even 
it's not even 26 episodes in a season. It's 180 episodes over a seven year period is almost the way they have to think about it. Like the, because the churn never stops. They got a mild break every once in a while, but otherwise it's just the same thing. But the, yeah. um, Go ahead. That the 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 uh, sorry not to go on an old man sounding television rant, but like that mid season break they do now drives me fucking crazy. Yeah, because it's, it's I mean, I I shouldn't say that because I understand it to a certain extent. Like, um, some of the shows still do these big long seasons. Like uh, I know the CW DC comic shows. I think are close to like 20, 22 episodes or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they're doing lots of special effects and lots of, uh, uh, you know, fighting and stuff and lots of sci-fi stuff. So I understand why they need a couple months or, or like a decent break in the middle to regroup. But like every single show does, has a huge break in the middle now. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's good to have time to regroup and look at stuff, but at the same time, it's like, well, how come, how come the second half of your season is generally not better? The um, they generally any successful drama series will now use its last season as two seasons. They'll split it into two. Yes, um, yes I yeah. guess that started with the Sopranos, and the Sopranos interestingly did it as a way to avoid renegotiating contracts with the actors. I guess really, yeah, oh, I didn't so know that. It was a money saving technique that they did. Um, or they called it the same, they called it the same season so that they didn't have to renegotiate new years oh. for the actors. Um, even though <laughs> that's, that's pretty sneaky. <laughs> yeah. Even though David Chase says he considers the two halves of the last season of the Sopranos to be two different seasons. Well, yeah, um, you can say that now. Right. <laughs> right. That is, it's fairly sneaky, but now they do it as a way to, um, I think they do it mostly as a way to just drum up hype about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. so they'll kind of, they'll draw things out. Um, Let's see. We've gone for half an hour, though. So is there anything else you want to talk about the Muse, or should we just wrap this thing up? Um, I don't think so. To, to circle back to whether or not uh, Odo is miswritten here, I would say maybe a little bit, uh, because he seems all too willing to go along. I mean, this is his idea. Yes. And, it's, it, and that, that feels doesn't like a seem like his idea. Yeah, yeah. It, this seems like it would be Loxana's idea. Yes, yeah. And you'd have to, I mean, that's the fun of the episode is, figuring out how to talk him into it you know yeah the, um, the ease of the the ease of which he involves himself is a very comedic thing to me like in a in a drama i feel like he would have to be pushed for half of the episode to adopt this stance and um because of a comedy you need to sort of cut to the conflict right away you like you can't have time yeah. dicking around getting there so it feels like he just sort of absorbs the conflict immediately and that's a very comedic beat to me, but then the rest of the episode is very dramatic, so it's kind of a conflict of tone. Yeah, and you asked how I would fix it. I would probably, um, I would add any sort of direction to the Jake Cisco stuff, like, like I was saying, whether he's got writer's block or is struggling with stuff about his mom or whatever, something, something to to. Um, that's the word I'm looking for. Something to like add a little drive excu- to his, yeah, or to excuse his. It would be, it would, you know, it would have been nice to get more of that story too, where maybe the stuff that she's doing to him is is causing him to emotionally freak out or something, like he's becoming very volatile or something, like it. Yeah, but just just give him more of a. Clearly, this is sort of a metaphor for an internal struggle that he's having. Right. Well, the the problem is he is totally unaware the entire time that anything is happening to him. 
You know what I mean? Like he, yes, he, exactly. He's, he's yeah. not, he is not making the choice to go through this life draining experience to amplify his work. He is thinking that she is really just like a great massage therapist who is like inspiring him to write as well. So you don't really, you don't learn anything about Jake's drive because Jake is ignorant to the sacrifice that he's making. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, I think overall, I think the problem with these two stories is that somehow neither one of them get enough time. Yeah. Which one's uh, the B story? I don't know. I mean, I guess it would have to be the, well, they both start before the, yeah, I don't know. That's a tough call. I mean, I would say, <laughs> no, nope, you can't even, I was going to say the Cisco one, but the name of the episode is the muse. I feel, I feel like the Odo story was intended to be the B story, but it feels more emotionally impactful yeah. than the other story. So it, it flips it a little bit in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. But they both, they both kind of get equal time. Like, honestly, this would have been a good episode to do one of these stories uh, and then have your B story be like, I don't know, O'Brien and Bashir fucking around playing darts or you know, something where you don't have to dip into it too much. Right. Uh, so Very the other easy. thing has some, yeah, something that, so the other stuff has time to breathe. Cause I don't think either one of these storylines gets enough time to really do anything interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree. All right. So let's uh, take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. Me and Claire are going to come back. We'll read some patron thoughts and give our final thoughts for the muse. You've read it. I just finished what do you think? You've got a good start on a novel here, Jake. The dialogue is sharp. The story's involving. The characters are real. The spelling is terrible. <laughs> I especially like the father. Remind you of anyone? A bit. It's really good. I know. I just wish I wrote it. You did. How can I be sure? I mean, without Onaya. Listen to me. You wrote these words, not her. But she got them out of me. Which means they were somewhere inside of you. All right, everybody. So if you leave your, uh, or if you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you get to leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes. We read them on the podcast. Holly McLaughlin says the muse, the Jake Onaya stuff is meh. The Loxana Odo stuff brings much more depth to both of these characters. And it's nice to see Odo regain a little dignity by doing something besides mooning over Kira, even if he loses it at the end by not being willing to speak up about how he really feels, at least how it seems like he really feels about Loxana. I also love the wedding rules for the baby daddy's culture. And the next thing. Quick question. Go ahead. Is the name of the book that he's writing, is that anything? Does that mean anything? It was like Anslem? E- A-N-S-L-E-M. Is that is that a thing? Well, yeah, what is it? A hold on a second here. Control F. A what was it? An Slem? A yeah, A-N-S-L-E-M, I think. Uh do, 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 do. <clears throat> Yes, it is Anselm. Let me see what this link is. That'd be good to know. It's the first novel. Anselm. I don't think so. It's, it seems to be just made up for him. It's his first book. Oh, okay. I didn't know if that word had some meaning that was well, it ties extrapolate. In, it ties into the visitor, right? I was going to say, is that the name of the first book Like his that the person who comes, his fan talks about or something? Yes, that is the book that his fan was talking about. So they tied it in there. This is the book that he wrote writes uh, from that. So that ties into the visitor storyline. Okay, that makes sense. Which is fine. There's nothing deep about that, but that's a nice little touch to do that, I suppose. Yeah. Um, 
Zam Nuclear Wessel says the muse squi- uh, slow, quiet, but pretty touching considering it features two often overlooked characters. I like how the end ties into the visitor. There you go. One of the several times in the series that Jake's new path is a variation on his old one. For the second time, he might have died a one and done writer. That's a good point. <laughs> um, next one. That's very. That's a very cynical way to look at it. It, <laughs> it is. Poor Jake Zisco. <clears throat> just needs to get laid. Uh, the muse, Neil Brennan, feels more like the snooze. Oh, the jokes just keep coming, guys. Keep coming. First stages. We have fun. First, first seven ages. I've been happy to just have on in the background. Felt like a backward step for the show. The second Loxana turned to reveal her baby bump. Will Yates says. Uh, the Muse, I used to avoid this episode like the plague, and aside from a few moments, I think that I will stay the same. Meg Foster did a pretty good job as a pseudo-sexual space vampire. I don't think she should I don't think she would have to trick or hunt for artists the way it's portrayed here. Having known some artists, I could easily see a few of them trading a shorter life for longer recognition. Worf was pretty good in the bar scene, but otherwise was a, which was otherwise a train wreck. Finding out about Odo's inner feelings helps the character, but it was a real clunky way to do it. It was nice to see Loxana's first husband put all that one-on-one coaching from Yul Brenner to good use, though. Um, <laughs> Neil, uh, Kyle Barrett says, The Muse, I find parts of the Odo-Loxana relationship kind of sweet, but apart from that, it's all pretty rubbish. And I don't believe Odo would ever play a game of changeling hide-and-seek with a smile on his face like that. It seemed very out of character. That's a good scene, too, for what I'm talking about, Clay. Um, oh, well, I guess it. I guess we're led to believe that Odo is most, cap- most comfortable shape-shifting around Loxana, right? That's what mm-hmm. we're supposed to draw from that. He, she's, the char- she's the character that he doesn't mind showing uh, do that, which he's very hesitant to shape-shift in front of other people. Why does her speaking of shape shifting? Why does her hair turn blonde in that scene? Uh, good lighting. Because is that what it is? Because <laughs> no like idea. her hair is like very dark, and then that scene specifically, I, I realized her hair is like bright yellow or like just very clearly blonde. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was uh, maybe it was one of the dress she was wearing. You know that internet thing where people are like, what color is this dress? Maybe it was one of those things. Maybe it's just the color of the stuff in the room is causing her hair to look like it's a different color. Sure. Yeah. Why not? We'll go with that. Uh, after Jake's private ASMR session with the forehead lady, I was expecting. Do they have mood hair? Do Betazoids have mood hair? <laughs> they they should they should have a be a culture built heavily around mood rings and stuff like that. that would, <laughs> or those mouse pads that you can touch and turn them into different colors. Ooh, um, that sounds fun. I was expecting Jake to delete the story he had written, wanting it to write it on his own terms. It should have been like Paul Sheldon at the end of the film Misery, burning the book written under the influence of Annie Wil- Wilkie's. Is it Wilkie's or Wilkes? I think. Or like the end of the novel. Uh, I think it's Wilkes. Wilkes. At the end of the novel where instead he publishes the book he hates himself, but hates himself for it. Sorry, Kyle. I'm screwing up the language here. Instead, Jake picks the most boring parts of both by keeping what he's written and not feeling that bad about it. The episode is a turd, but I wish the ending had picked a stronger path for Jake than a quick shrug and continuing to write without giving it much thought. Last call. That's. Go ahead. Sorry. That's another thing that's weird about it, too. It's like <laughs> the book that he writes is not particularly like that good. It's I was the, the whole thing the whole thing is her like pulling this greatness out of these authors and then it, when Ben reads it he's like yeah it's not bad it's yeah. <laughs> it's got it's a solid first draft it's no Keats uh this is yeah. this, <laughs> it's a solid first draft um I was thinking someone needs to photoshop that scene where Jake like they keep showing the close ups of Jake writing and his stuff mm-hmm. and you need to have him just write in a sentence that like that says like, and then Captain Lorca reveals that he's from the Mirror Universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Matthew Ross, last comment says, The Muse, God damn it. Do we have to watch this? A combination of fascination and second sight. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Loxana pregnant. Sounds like a bad talk show. And Odo's look is all, it ain't me, girl. Look. Uh, oh, his look was the high point. Way to way. Why go to DS9's police? Hell if I know. Stupid. I wanted Odo to say when they were walking, now that he knew, now he knew. Jesus, my brain is fried. I wanted Oda to say when they were walking that he knew why she was so effed up. As to Jake writing being influenced by a more mature woman, although a teenage fantasy makes it seem he's got nothing and cheapens his ability. Onaga is that the Onaga just gets off the smoky voice talking and young gets off on smoky voice talking in younger men. I need another coffee. Star Trek Cougars on the next DS9. <laughs> oh yeah, write the first line. Bow chicko bow wow. Couldn't she just give Jake clothing advice like a different seat cover? Casual clothes, Matt. I, I think I'm going to start blaming this on you. I'm losing track. What's going on here? Casual clothes from Star Trek need a makeover. Anyway, let us dive into this episode from Canon Canon and all memories. So say we all. Amen. That's it, guys. Thank you very much for. Um, Writing in, thank you for leaving your thoughts about the muse. The bad episodes always tend to get more than the actual outstanding <laughs> episodes. Go ahead. What are you laughing Sorry, about? I do. I do really like really like that idea of of Cisco reading at the end, being like, "It's it's okay. I'm a little bit. I don't know if the Klingon Empire would really be threatened by saying you put a bomb in one of their volcanoes, <laughs> but you know, it's not bad. It's uh, I mean, it needs a little work. So. Is his body a Klingon or is it, did they do plastic <laughs> surgery? Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is right. why I never show you what I write, Dad. <laughs> it's a prequel. It expands the universe. That's it, guys. Thank you very much for uh, writing and leaving your patron thoughts. Uh, apologies for my poor reading, but I'm, I'm brain dead apparently at this point. So uh, leave some upcoming thoughts about we've got some good episodes coming up. Uh, not to spoil anything for Clay, but we do have some very solid episodes coming as the uh, as the season wraps itself up. For the cause, to the death, the quickening, body parts, and broken link are all that we have left in season four. Um, uh, I, I'm going to say right now, if the quickening is not about what I think it's about, then I will also be done with this show. Yeah, I, it, it's a lot to ask. We'll have to see if uh, they can make things if they can. If they can so blatantly use something from Highlander and not actually have it pay off. Methinks I smell a crossover. Patron thoughts. Thank you very much. Guys, so uh, Clay, what are you going to give this one on our scale of one to five? Uh, two. Yeah, solid two, right? Um, it's not incomprehensible. It's actually, I mean, like everything in it is fine. It's just not very good. Yeah, I'd agree. Everything in it is fine. <clears throat> it's just not particularly very good. Or uh, half, I think the Odo stuff is would you agree the Odo stuff is the stronger storyline? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think if I think if they had focused on the Jake storyline and not really fleshed it out, that's a one of an episode because it's not really about anything at that point. Right, but the, right. the Odo storyline kind of saves it here, which brings it up to a two for me. But still, it's probably, this is probably the worst episode of the season for me so far. Um, you would come into the episode saying that you thought that was the case. Mm-hmm. And I mean, honestly, that's a pretty good average if this is the worst episode because it's not a train wreck. It's just under very underwhelming. Yes, so it's, yeah. it's it's better than seasons previous that we've run into. Yep, 100%. All right, guys. Thank you very much. You can support the show by going to all the social media. The traditional blue cliche ones are Facebook and Twitter. You can also go to Discord if you want to talk to us. That's a good uh, place to go. It's a Skype-like chat room. Go to the Discord channel. There's a link for it in the podcast description or the little video blurb. You can go to patreon.com slash the if you want to support the show. 
It's patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple dollars a month, you get extra content. We are going to be doing two, not Tombstone. We're going to be doing Unforgiven as our Western-themed episode this month. Um, and then there's other videos and other random stuff that you get there as well. And then we will wrap it up with just saying rate the show on iTunes. If you have a chance on your phone, that's the easiest way to do it. I think we're at 50 ratings, which is my goal. But anyone else who wants to sort of add another one on there, feel free. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Can we spend the second half of the podcast for the Patreon podcast doing a review of all three Unforgiven Metallica songs? Understand. <laughs> well, now you're you've wanted to uh, you've wanted to start a podcast on the Discord. You're talking about starting a, a music video review podcast. Where, <laughs> where, I think that would be a fun show. I mean, specifically I was, like metal videos from the '80s, '90s, and early 2000s. Because I, I think there's a, there's a lot to talk about. Well, there. I was thinking, I was trying to think of how. I'm going to, we'll say this and someone will just to run off with it and become a hit success. I was thinking of how you would actually do that show. Like, would you, would you do it as a Beavis and Butthead thing where you talk over the episode and you have to wrap up what you're talking about by the time that the song is over? Or would you, would you play the song in the episode? It's, it's something to think about. Like, I feel that there's a lot of um, untapped potential in somehow linking the music video to the podcast. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. So like you're doing a, a commentary so you could watch the video and then also listen to the podcast, that kind of thing? Yeah, like if if you played it over like one of those uh, riff tracks or something, would that make sense? Or would you rather, would it be better to sort of slow it down and break it down? I don't know. I was just thinking because I thought that was an interesting way to sort of link the two things together. Well, I, I think the problem you run into is uh, copyright stuff because I know the uh, the Yacht Rock podcast, uh, they play the music that they're talking about underneath they're talking, but they have to do it at like a very low volume so they don't yep. get flagged. Yep. Uh, which is kind of more a problem on YouTube than it is on. Uh, yeah, MP3s. and it's kind of a it's it's a little bit annoying because like you want to hear the song they're talking about, but you can't really hear a lot of it because they're talking over it. Yeah, yeah. But I guess it does make you want to go out and find the song. I I, I think I I would probably just do it like we do most of these other shows yeah. where you know. <laughs> Just talk about just it. Ex- just talk about it. Because, I mean, there's enough. most of these videos have enough weird shit going on that you could get a pretty good conversation for, you know, 20, 30 minutes yeah, out I'd, of it. Yeah, I'd I would want to expand it beyond metal, I think, uh, just for um, diversity's sake. But there, there could certainly, like, be a, like, if you if you alternated music videos each week, it would be like you'd, pick, you'd go on your metal run or whatever. I'd be like, I've been listening to a lot of Steve Vai records lately, and I'd like to talk God, about that it. video, man. Oof. <laughs> Uh, so guys let us know what you'd uh if you'd want to see a music video special every once in a while we could maybe do a test thing you do it for patreon or something we just see how it works and if it's like this is this has legs or this is the worst thing that we've ever done before um let me see here so i think that's it guys thank you very much for supporting the show and uh thank you for listening clay thanks for coming on yeah thanks for having me we're almost done with season four clay we're slowly churning our way through these things we will be done shortly um let's see i think that's it guys thank you very much we'll be back with for the cause which is the next episode coming up um and until then i guess we'll see you next time 